Oh, I really like the words of that hymn that the young people just sang. It encourages me. It does my heart good to hear hymns like that. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. You know, I've tried to make that sort of the underlying theme of my life. All my 46 years that I've been saved and serving the Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, O Lord. I think that's the best way to live. As I have studied the lives of great men and women of God that have lived over the years, yea, over the last 2,000 years, they all seem to have this thing in common. They would do whatever it takes to do the will of God. It was a resolve. It's like dare to be a Daniel. On Sunday mornings, I've been trying to bring a series of messages that will help strengthen your faith and give you more confidence in God's promises, His precepts, His written word, and what He says, we just believe it. And that's where faith really needs to get together with the Word of God. You put your faith in God's Word. And so, I want to speak today on a subject that goes hand in hand. It walks in tandem with this subject of faith. And that's the subject of patience. Patience. How many out there have ever wished they had more patience? Raise your hand. Boy, I tell you, I, I hear you. I'm speaking today on the subject, Lord, please give me more patience. Well, Many of you are aware of uh, a famous politician. He died in um, 44 BC. He was the, the emperor of Rome. His name was Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar, he was an unsaved man, but he had a lot of worldly wisdom and he had a few keen insights on the human nature. And here's what Julius Caesar said. He said, it's easier to find men who will volunteer to die rather than to find those who are willing to endure pain with patience. In the Christian realm, we sometimes say it's easier to die for Christ than it is to live for Christ. And so Julius Caesar had had, uh, I think he was on the right track. I think he had something worth saying. Now, moving on up to the 1600s, we find a Christian scientist by the name of Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. And he once made this statement. He said, if I have done the public any service, it is due to my patient thought. I like how he put that. He would patiently think through the problems and work his way toward a successful conclusion. And he attributed it to patience. Now, the next century, the 1700s, saw a man named Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Now, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he was a very interesting man. I don't believe he was born again, although he did believe in God and he, he did have some things to say about Christian religion. but. From my study, I cannot see where he was a born-again Christian man. However, he was a very celebrated writer, a um, philosopher, and he was uh, well-loved, and I think in some places well-hated as well. 
and he lived in the, and died in the 1700s. And he said something I thought was quite interesting. He said, patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. And again, I think in tandem with Mr. Julius Caesar, Jean-Jacques Rousseau has hit upon something that's very, very interesting. Someone who was a Christian and was really struggling with patience, he said these words. He said, I will pray for patience because if I pray for strength, I just might throw you out the window. So a little bit of Christian humor there, if you don't mind. But patience is something that every one of us needs. Now, not this coming week, but the week after is the final exams at our Bible college. And this is also a case in point where students and teachers need patience. The final exams, when everything comes down to a crunch. Well, in fact, actually, all through the, the college year, there's assignments, there's a, a required reading, there's projects, there's um, report slips that need to be turned in. There's quite a bit of work when you go to Bible college, at least our Bible college anyhow. We don't want anyone graduating with some Mickey Mouse little piece of paper that means nothing. We want them to have a life-changing experience that's worth more than any piece of paper. But our course curriculum is set up to provide the student with the best end result. And this takes patience. It takes patience. No wonder there are Bible college students who drop out and don't go the, the whole the whole course. That is very true. And I think that we need patience just about in all walks of life. We need patience, of course, at our jobs. Sometimes when our bosses make what seem to be unreasonable demands upon us, we need patience. We need patience as we try to serve the Lord in some sort of ministry. We need patience these days with COVID, the pandemic, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And we need patience. And we need patience in marriage, too. Now, for those of you who have just tuned in, that's why I'm wearing the bow tie. The bow tie means 40 years married today. And if you stick around 40 years from today, I'll wear it again. I've just done my first 40. I'm looking forward to my second 40. So it's a big happy day for Mrs. White and I today. You know, just a little side note for those of you who just tuned in. I'd like to encourage you next Sunday to tune in earlier. Tune in at 11. It'll bless your heart. It really will. When you see the opening sequence, when you see and hear the choir singing, and when we do our welcome and our songs that we do together, and even the announcements, if you've just tuned in, you missed it. You missed our announcement on the mission of love. Now, you'll always be go, able to go back and watch it, but you know, it's different. It's different. It's like, I suppose, those of you who follow the, the, the big sports games, basketball finals or football finals, 
No one wants to watch the rerun. They'd rather watch it live as it's happening. Same thing in the house of the Lord, folks. So tune in. Be with us on time. It'll bless your heart. It really will. You don't know what you're missing. Well, anyhow, what I'm saying today is we need patience. If we're going to have faith, if we're going to live by faith and our faith is going to grow, we must have patience. Patience means to be calm in the face of delay, in the face of adversity, in the face of unpleasant circumstances, in the face of affliction and pain. Patience means to be calm and work together with God and abide under the situation until God moves you out or moves the situation away. This is what patience is all about. And so, our friend James, in James chapter 5 here, he is going to give us three good examples that will encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. And so today, let's pause and bow our heads and close our eyes and, and pray, please, Lord, give me patience. Heavenly Father, you know we're not born with patience. You know that some of us have, well, we'll say a short fuse. Lord, I pray you'd give us patience and extend that fuse. Make, make it much longer before we get upset or blow up or something. Give us the ability, the Holy Spirit, power to endure. And we know it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Please encourage us to be patient. Help us with patience. Father, right now I pray for that one who in his or her heart is saying, Oh boy, that's my weakest area. Or one of my weakest areas. I'm not patient. I tend to think with my feet and I run in the face of adversity. I don't stay. I don't hold my ground. I don't abide. Lord, teach us patience for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today let's uh, look at the farmer. In chapter 5 and verse 7, James writes, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman. That's another expression, another term for the farmer. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience. That, that's good, isn't it? Not just patience, long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. So that's at the beginning and at the end of his harvest. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. If that were true 2,000 years ago, how much more true is it today? Verse number nine, grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. I don't believe that an impatient person can be a farmer. It, they just don't seem to go together. Impatience and farming don't seem to mix. And I suggest to you that impatient people will not last in the farming business. You see, the farmer... He must be patient with the soil. The farmer must pain uh, uh, and, and toil 
in his preparation of the soil and his sowing of the seed. I believe the farmer must be patient with the seed because some seed gives a little trouble. It seems that a percentage of seed is weak and sickly, perhaps. And some of the seeds get eaten by birds or pests. And the farmer needs patience in dealing with this. The farmer must be patient also with the season. And there may be too much sun, there may be too much rain. Those are sure ways to destroy crops. And the, and the farmer must exercise patience. Now, you might wonder why. Why all of the patience? Why does the farmer willingly wait so long? Why does he do it? And verse 7 gives us the answer. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, that's the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for the harvest, the payoff. That's what he's waiting for. And he must exercise patience. And remember, patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. I like how we put that. Harvest time brings the rewards for the farmer and for the farmland. And the harvest also guarantees next year's crop as well. Now, we Christians, we born-again ones, like the farmers, we must have patience because we are waiting for a spiritual harvest. Remember the promise of God in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Some people call it karma. It's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7. So if you sow a lot of bad seed, you're going to get a pretty lousy harvest. You may, you may get things that you wish you didn't get. Whereas if you keep sowing good seed, you will reap a good harvest. That's the very promise of God. You will reap if you sow. And if you sow good, you'll, you'll reap good as well. That's very important. Listen to me. Your months and years spent in patient preparation only mean that God is preparing a good harvest in your life. The longer it seems to take, the greater the yield and reward will be. Believe me, long seasons of patient prayer will pay off in a great harvest one day, maybe one day very soon. So that's encouraging, isn't it? There's a harvest coming. It is. It's the promise of God. You put your faith in the promise of God and you let patience keep it there. Keep your faith in the promises of God. Now, we must remember that after planting, the farmer is always active. He's always busy. He's always working. The farmer, after he plants, just doesn't sit around and do nothing. Oh, absolutely not. There's a lot of work to be done on the farm. And that's good advice for us. If we're going to take this analogy here, I think we need to take pretty much the whole analogy of the farmer. And farmers, they keep busy. There's lots of work to be done on a farm. After the soil has been plowed and prepared and after the seed has been put in, 
Then, of course, the farmer has to chase away the crows. The farmer has to repair the farm equipment. The farmer has to do his negotiating and so on to, to buy things necessary for the farm. So the farmer is kept a busy man. That's very true. And likewise, you and I need to be busy for the Lord. Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep your faith in God for your harvest. But until the harvest comes, be busy serving the Lord. Don't sit around and do nothing, but be active living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the young people sang earlier, I'll do whatever it takes, Lord, to do your will. I think that farmers have that similar kind of attitude. Now, I'd like you to notice here in verse number 9 that James gives an exhortation because during times of, of affliction and pain and you know having to exercise a lot of patience, it's easy to kind of get grumbly, to get a little, well, we might say persnickety with people around you. And so in verse 9, James tells us, grudge not one against another brethren. Now that's very important. This idea of grumbling and grudging and grumbling, it is indicative of impatience. When we're not feeling very patient, when we're struggling with our patience, and the pressure's mounting, the bills are mounting up, people are phoning us and giving us trouble. It's easy to get persnickety. It's easy to, to shorten that fuse and you blow up. Sadly, we blow up first with those that are around us, those that are closest to us, our loved ones. We get a short fuse and we turn and we say things out of haste and anger, things that hurt, things that can take years to fix. And we do it mistakenly because the pressure's on us at work. The pressure's on us maybe in our marriage. The pressure's on us in our health and our finances. And then we, we snap and we grudge one against another. And that's not good. I believe that if we are impatient with God and His dealings in our lives, if we're impatient with God, well, we're going to be very disappointed in God, aren't we? When we start tapping our foot and drumming our fingers and saying, where is God? What's happening here? Why isn't he answering my prayer yet? Where's the harvest that I'm looking for? What's happening? I don't understand. I don't get it. Well, we're getting impatient with God, and I think we're going to become disappointed in God if we keep that up. I encourage you, give God a chance. Give God a chance. He is in control. He knows what he's doing. There's no mistakes. Give him your life. Give him your time. Really, your life and your time are really in his hand anyhow. And so just willingly give it over. Resign and say, Lord, I give up. You take over. You be in control. And that's what God is waiting for. When we are impatient, with our fellow man. We're impatient maybe first with God. We're impatient next with our fellow man. And the, the truth is, when you become impatient with God, you will almost always be impatient with someone around you in your life. 
And as I say, most often, it's those that are closest to us. And that's something that we can see. If you see me very impatient with the people around me in my life, that's what you can see. But what you can't see is that I may be very impatient with God. You can't see that, but what you can see is what's happening in my life. This, I think, is one reason why James wrote to the brethren, and he said, grudge not one against another. And it seems to be in the context of patience with letting God do his perfect work in us. And so if you find yourself getting impatient with those around you, check your heart. It may be that you're impatient with your heavenly father. So James gave us first the example of the farmer. Secondly, in verse 10, if you look at it, he gives us the example of the prophets of old, the great preachers of God of old. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. You know, as I think about the farmer, and I I think that an impatient man cannot be a farmer. Likewise, I think about the prophets here, and I think an impatient man could never be a prophet. The prophets were greatly used of God, but they suffered greatly. Yes, they did. An An impatient man cannot be a prophet. When we read about these faithful servants of God, And how they suffered. It teaches us their patience and that God is still in control. They maintained belief and faith in God all through their days of of suffering. Now even though the prophets uh, were in the will of God, they suffered. That's an important point. And we cannot escape it ourselves. These prophets were proclaiming their message in the name of the Lord. Now, I'd like to invite you to turn back just a few pages, three pages, four pages, to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'd like you to notice, please, verse number 32. Hebrews 11 is the great chapter on faith. Now, look at verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. See, there's the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. 
They put up with all of that perfectly in the will of God. And what they did was they prepared the way for us. And then Jesus came and he put it all together. Oh my, here's an example of patience, I would say. Suffering is sometimes due to your faithful service for God. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Nothing wrong with persecution. Folks, let's put away this notion that persecution and pain and affliction is bad and wrong and it's not supposed to be part of my life. I'm telling you right now, it's through the medium of pain, affliction, and suffering. It's through those things that God makes us strong and faithful and wise and compassionate and loving and more like our Jesus. And the good thing is God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And through the stormy waters or through the barren wilderness or yea, through the valley of the shadow of death, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will hold our hand and meet our needs and get us through. Others, other unsaved, may try and follow this pathway and they won't make it. They'll fall by the wayside. But you and I who are born again, ah, folks, listen, we could walk through the gates of hell and back and the fire wouldn't, wouldn't rest on us. There'd be not even the smell of smoke. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Remember that? And through the fire, I will not forsake thee. The promises of God. You put your faith in the promises of God and you keep patience. Keep patient to keep you there. That's what we're talking about here today. Well, the prophets encourage us by reminding us that God cares for those who suffer for his sake. Someone once said that the will of God will never lead you to where the grace of God cannot keep you. And many Christians have heard these words. But there's more to that poem. The poem is entitled, The Will of God, and the words go like this. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you, where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercies of God cannot sustain you, where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, where the authority of God cannot overrule for you. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, where the omnipotence of God cannot find you. Oh, listen. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's good to know. Well, we must move on. And we come to verse 11. James writes for us now about our friend Job. 
You know, lately, for the last number of weeks, I don't know how many weeks now, maybe a couple of months, I've been spending a lot of time with Job. I've been sitting down beside Job in the pile of ashes. And I've been looking upon this dear man. And I've been listening carefully to what he's had to say all throughout the book of Job. Verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And oh, my friend, this is absolutely true. Here we have a classic example of a believer who patiently endured the will of God. Job had no idea what was going on in heaven when God was speaking with Satan. Job had no idea that Satan was about to get permission to destroy everything he had and then later to destroy his health so that he was absolute shambles of a human being. Job had no idea of what took place in the courts of heaven. Job had no idea that his days of affliction were going to come to an end very quickly. Because it happened when all of the talk was done. Job had been sitting down. His three friends came to him. Plan A was to comfort Job. But I think plan A quickly turned to plan B. When they got sitting there with him. And they decided he's got to be guilty. And they proceeded to tell him so. Each of them had three turns at bat. And they told him forcefully, with their logic, how he must be sinning and doing wickedness. And Job was maintaining his integrity. Well, when the talk was all done, and there was another young man named Elihu, and he gave good sense. After that, then God spoke to Job. When God finished speaking to Job, Job's trials were over. You've seen the end of the Lord, says James. The Lord is pitiful. And God blessed that man Job with twice as much as he had from the beginning. And Job not only had twice as much in finances and in cattle, and, and he had ten more children and so on. He had twice as much. But he was much wiser and stronger and a better man. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. So if we can just hang in there with patience, faith in God's promises, we will see the same thing in our lives. The end of the Lord. He is tender. It says here, He is very pitiful and of tender mercy. My, oh my. Back in 1949, a famous preacher in the United States named Peter Marshall. He was an amazing man. He died. Died of a heart attack. He had had a few heart attacks previous to this. Finally, it got him and the Lord took him home. He was only about 47 years of age. Young man. Boy, he accomplished a lot for the Lord, it seemed, in his few short years. 
and concerning patience. Concerning this subject, Peter Marshall once prayed, Teach us, O Lord, the disciplines of patience. For to wait is often harder than to work. Don't you find that sometimes? The hard part is the waiting. The waiting. The patience. There are blessings at the end of the road for those who will wait upon the Lord. Just like we've seen here with Job. And Job was greatly rewarded. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in England in the 1800s, he said these words, The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. Let me ask you today, are you having trouble with patience? Are you struggling to be patient? Is it just not in you? Are you praying, oh Lord, please teach me to be patient? Well, I'd like to suggest to you a couple things. Number one, you ask God to give you wisdom on how to be patient. Now, if you'll turn back to James chapter 1. Here we have the passage that our dear brother Howard read for us. James chapter 1. In verse number 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now look at verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And now the promise of God to put your faith in. If any of you lack wisdom, the idea here is wisdom and how to be patient. Wisdom and how to how to do the the job before you. Wisdom on how to wait upon the Lord. Wisdom on how to trust His Word. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. God doesn't give a penny. He gives a treasure. It's nothing for God. God is not poor because He gives to you and me. I mean, that would be our case. If we reach into our pocket, take out some money, now we have that much less. But not with God. When God reaches into His treasury and takes out a handful, and by the way, He's got a big hand, and God gives us liberally, it has not depleted God's treasure by one penny. He is just as full and overflowing as He ever was. It's no sweat for God to give you wisdom in liberal amounts. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It means He won't upbraid you. He won't chew you out. He won't call you down. He won't call you names. He won't shame you. He won't point His finger at you and shake His finger and say, Oh, you stupid. He'll never, ever do that. He wants you to be wise. He'll give you liberal amounts. If you will believe him for it. You see verse 6. But let him ask in faith. There's that faith again. Oh folks. If you're struggling and you need patience. My first suggestion is you ask God for it. Secondly. Try to see the big picture in your life. Try to see what God is doing. Don't lose sight of the forest. 
for the sake of one tree or two trees. You pick up one piece of a picture puzzle and you look at that and you say, what good is that? Where does that fit? Well, that's only one piece of the picture puzzle. Try to see the whole picture. Try to see it from God's perspective. What is God doing in your life? What does God want to do over the next 365 days? What is God wanting to do in your marriage, in your studies, in your Bible time, in your ministry? What is God wanting to do over the long haul? Number three, I suggest maybe you ask God to show you why it is that you're so impatient. Have you ever asked God to show you? Lord, I'm not very patient. Show me why. What's wrong with me, Lord? What is the missing piece in me? Maybe there's something you need to know. You know, you have not because you ask not. Ask of God. He'll give you wisdom. Don't you think you need to know what's going on in your heart? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the hearts. So ask God. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows that area of deficiency. It's only a suggestion. And number four, I, I'd like to suggest you remind yourself that God takes his time. God is on a different timetable. And you'll eventually get there. He will bring you to where you need to be. You remember the story, the children's story, Winnie the Pooh with, with Pooh Bear and Eeyore and Christopher Robin. Remember those? Winnie the Pooh once once said this famous line. Winnie the Pooh said, rivers, that's rivers of water, rivers all know this, there is no hurry, we shall get there someday. So there you have it. God's on his timetable. He's making no mistake. He is going to bring you to where he wants you to be. And so just relax. And let God be God in your life. Listen, we have to finish up here. Patience means to abide and stay where God has put you and work with God. Stay under the circumstances, whatever they may be. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Do not run away. Do not quit. Do not hide. We could be talking about your marriage. If you want a marriage that's going to go the distance, you're going to need faith and patience. Raising children. Parents, you know, some days you want to pull your hair out. You're discouraged. You look at your children and you say, will they ever learn? They will. Don't quit. Keep at it. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Your spiritual growth. Maybe you feel frustrated that you're not as spiritually advanced as you think you should be. The Lord knows. Just rest in the arms of Jesus. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Ask God to increase your patience. You know, I read something rather interesting. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, Ruth Graham, when she was in the car many, many years ago, they were driving through uh, an area on the road, there was construction. 
and you had the, the people with the flags and the hard hats and the construction workers, the equipment and the signs slow down and so on. And they finally drove through this long, long length of highway under construction. When they got to the end, when they got to the end of the construction, Ruth Graham saw this sign and the words on the sign impressed her so much that she said to her husband, Honey, when I die, I want those words put on my headstone. Now, you married men. What would you think if your wife turned to you and said, I want these words put on my headstone? Wouldn't that make you feel a little bit creepy? Well, be as it may, here's the words that Ruth Graham read on a sign. It said, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. You can go on the internet and you can look up the tombstone of Ruth Graham and people have photographed it and sure enough, Ruth Bell Graham got some Chinese symbols there because her parents were missionaries to China and it has the, the years of her birth and death and it has these words, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. You know, one day, it's going to be the same for you and me. The Lord's going to take us home. End of construction. Have you been patient? You see why we need patience. Now let's pray together. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.